The dream of an undefeated season is no more. Pitt lost to Cincinnati 27-21. Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Football Unscripted here on the Pit Talk Network. I'm your host, Corey Cohen, and with me for this episode is Ryan from Those Guys You Know on Twitter, at underscore T-G-Y-K. Those guys, you know, we've got Ryan with us. Ryan, thanks so much for coming on the pod. Uh, thanks for having me. Just kind of pulled up from, uh, unfortunately, sweating my butt off at Agrisher all day. Um, but uh, we got quite a bit to talk about. There is a ton to talk about, so let's just get right into it. Uh, but before that, uh, folks, if you are not following or subscribe to Pit Talk Network, wherever you get your podcasts, please do so. Uh, just wherever you listen, subscribe to Pit Talk Network, and you'll get these episodes delivered right away. We've got multiple shows for you, and uh, it's really exciting. You can also follow Pit Talk Network on Twitter. That is at Pit Talk Network. So let's jump into it. Pitt loses to Cincinnati in the return of the River City, River City rivalry, 27-21. to 21. Phil Dracovic. We, we have to jump right into it. Phil Dracovic, the transfer quarterback for Pitt from Boston College was dreadful. That was the worst quarterback performance I've seen from a Pitt QB in I don't know how long. That was absolutely dreadful. Phil Dracovic threw 10 for 32, 179 yards. He did have three touchdowns. There were a couple good passes in there. But it's it's even beyond the stat line of 10 for 32. Some of those balls that he threw were to absolutely nobody. I cannot fathom how bad he was in terms of just getting a ball to a receiver. And the times when he did at least throw it near a receiver, there was no zip on the ball. And it was behind a receiver or it was it was it was a pathetic performance. Ryan, you were there in person. What did you see from Phil Dracovic? Yeah, so I've been someone who is notoriously known for sticking with quarterbacks, pit or whatnot, a little bit longer than most people usually tolerate. Uh, Kenny, you know, I knew that they had the pieces those first couple of years he started, and then they finally got the cast around him at 21, as we all know. Uh, Slovis last year, uh, I stuck with him a little bit more, a little bit more sympathetic than I'd say majority of the fan base last year. I understand that in hindsight, not great. Today, I officially gave up on Dracovic. It was, in, I believe it was in the first quarter where he overthrew Bub Means, who had a step or two on his corner. He did it last week against Walford. And I'm just sitting there to myself, dude, you've been here since December, January. You still can't hit a wide open receiver down the field six years in your college career. You ain't it. I was, when you're not hitting any open receivers and it gets to the point where you're not even trying to hit open receivers, you're running around thinking you're Mahomes and you're throwing wanting to pray that you're Flacco. You know, you're, you're you're hoping for pass interference. You're hoping for defensive holding. It was sad. And there are so many guys open, number of corner routes, a number of tight end seam routes down the middle that he's just not interested in. And it was 10 for 32. And the only reason you outperformed the other quarterback is because you threw it what seemed like 50 times. It was 
one of the worst performances we've seen in Lord knows how long. And and we've seen some pretty bad quarterback performances, but that was just atrocious. And you're right. I mean, what's so frustrating about Phil Dracovic is that he's, for the lack of a better word, old. He's been around the block. Mm-hmm. He went to Notre Dame first. Then he went to Boston College. Now he's at Pitt. He he should be way better than this, at least competent. He should be a game manager at the yeah. minimum. And as you're as you just said, he's missing wide open guys. It's ridiculous how many times there was a receiver who was open who had a step, maybe two, and he was either completely off target, a little bit off target, or he got it to the right spot, but he lacked zip. So by the time that it, that the ball got there, the defender had caught up and it was contested and knocked away. It's incredible how few of his passes were where they should have been. I I have no idea how anyone could justify, and I think most of the people listening to this wouldn't justify, most of the people on Twitter wouldn't justify, but I don't know how any human being could justify sticking with Phil Dracovic after that performance. This is him, and he is bad. It's incredibly sad, and actually I want to give – Props. We'll get into the rest of the offense later to Tyquan Underwood because his guys are always open. Someone is always open on these plays. The Waffle House nickname's actually fitting. They call themselves the Waffle House because they're always it, open. The shirt's worth the investment. It's 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 working. Mumfield and you know when Means gets eleven targets and zero receptions, how many of those targets were actually catchable versus what was actually in his range and. It's just, it's ridiculous. I was obviously like a lot of people calling for Vayer. Uh, you have your Yarnell uh, call over there too. But <laughs> if you, if Deuce thinks you can win with three quarterbacks, why aren't you trying to win with the other two quarterbacks? At least one of them, someone. You bought in Vayer and Yarnell to not, you're not bringing them in to sure up deck. If you want to do that, you would have bought another Derek Kyler just to be there on the roster. No, you're bringing them in to be the future and win eventually. At this point, if you don't, you don't have to tell the public because we know Narduzzi and we love him and hate him for this. You don't have to tell us on your Monday press conference that you had an open quarterback competition during practice, but you got to have their taking first team reps. It just has to happen. Absolutely. It's we already heard in the postgame press conference from Pat Narduzzi that he said he is sticking with Phil Dracovic again. That's not necessarily 100% going to happen. But at the same time, I would not be shocked at all. We saw this. Mm -hmm. We've seen this in previous years. He sticks with guys. We saw this last year with Keaton Slovis. He stuck with him. And in some cases, that pays off, right? It paid off sticking with Kenny Pickett. Now, he was... It was it was a different circumstance completely. Kenny Pickett was a freshman. He had some mistakes. Phil Jerkovic, there's no upside to sticking with him. And you, Kenny was homegrown from his freshman year to his senior year. You had him all four of those years. So you're sticking with him. Slovis, Dracovic, they're not your guys. And I'm not from the Pittsburgh area. So I never had this like emotional attachment at all to, oh, this was a Pine Richland star. I came here at Pitt. The only reason I heard of Pine Richland my freshman year was because I had people on my floor who happened to have gone to Pine Richland with Phil. I had no connection to that. And so that's probably part of the reason why my string with Dracovic was like, 
that first bad deep ball, get him out. I don't want to see him anymore. And this goes all the way back to my days, back when I was a student, the days of Tino Sinceri, who had a massively long leash because he was a local guy. He's a Sinceri. It's a Sinceri family. They're local. And it's I'm the same way. I'm, I'm not from the area. It doesn't really matter to me where a guy's from, just how he plays. And I think to some people, to some, I think in the Pittsburgh local media, when they when Phil Dracovic, there were rumors that he was going to transfer from Boston college and people's, Oh, he's got to come to pit. He's got to come to pit because it to them that that's just a big deal. He was a big deal in high school. And this would be the culmination of him coming home. And it's clear that it's not working. He is for lack of a better word, washed. He's done. And there's just not, I mean, it's not even the passing the running. Now he did have a couple plays where he scrambled and he was okay. But the first drive of the second half, he fumbles the ball. And he was just running for a couple yards. He loses the ball, gets punched away. He fumbles it. Cincinnati takes over. That ends up being crucial. If that does, if he doesn't fumble the ball, Pitt has a good shot to tie or win this game. But Phil Jerkovic, not only were his passes terrible, but even on the ground, he had one rush that when he fumbled the ball that just killed this team, not to mention some of the sacks he took, and we'll get to the offensive line also, that there is blame to go around. But Phil Dracovic, without a doubt, number one in the blame order. Those passes he threw, I just, I can't stress enough. I've never seen anything like it. That was like if an amateur went out there or if someone went out there who had a massive injury, like whose arm was about to fall off and they were just throwing ducks. Some of these balls... There was no one remotely close. I don't know what he was doing. I don't know what he was seeing. Was it like Zach Wilson saying, I'm seeing ghosts out there? Is that what he was seeing? I have no clue. But Phil Dracovic was not seeing his receivers. As you said, they were open, and he just could not get it to them. Let's say this. So I played organized tackle football from Peewee through high school. I didn't play quarterback, but I at least like to think I know something. So I went to go and rewatch the Wofford game because I want to figure out why his balls came out like ducks and why they kept putting out those videos and everything. His mechanics, it's like they, they're they all there, but they all don't – the cogs don't line up in time. Either there's something wrong with his, his leg work, his hips, or his arms. Two of them work on a pass, but the third one causes a duck or it causes a slow pass. And then on top of that, when – when they try to run him, like O lines have an issue, so they try to run a bootleg. He just stops. You see, Emory Jones would keep going and hold that bootleg until he find found a guy coming across the you know somewhere 10, 12 yards down the field, or even dumping off into the flat. It, Phil would kind of just stop, and the D lineman would be able to catch up behind him, or the or the blitzing linebacker would be able to catch up with him and stop him, and then he would just kind of chuck it up, and there was. He he lumbers and he lumbers like Ben, and I think he takes that a little too much to heart in a good way. And that's not what we need. It's it's fantastic to have a mobile quarterback. It's fantastic to got who have a guy his size who's physically gifted who will always fall for an extra yard. Stop running the ball like you're carrying a loaf of bread. That's the first thing you're taught when you're eight years old and learning to play tackle football. And it. It's just a mystery, too. It's not just him sitting in the pocket and throwing bad passes. A lot of his other mechanics, they either don't work or they work until they just stop mid-play. And it's incredibly frustrating to watch. 
One final thing before we move on from Phil Dracovic. In his comments in the postgame presser, immediately following this one, he said, quote, I think if you're a grown-ass man booing in that stadium, I think you have to go and look at yourself. I think that's pathetic, end quote. That is the quarterback who went 10 for 32, calling the fans pathetic, going after the fans, calling them pathetic for booing him and not appreciating his offense performance. What, what's your reaction to that? It's one thing to have everyone, the game was on your shoulders. It's your fault. This is how you make yourself public enemy number one. This is not leadership. We heard all all season that we finally had a quarterback that people liked, the locker room liked, and was a leader. And all of a sudden, we're blaming the fan base because you played poorly. He didn't take any responsibility. I think even your fans now are just saying, yeah, so Christian Bayer, Canadian, he's got to be nice, right? Like, this is not <laughs> – this is a terrible way to end your night. You did it to yourself. Target's on your back. And you got to have a sit down and look in the mirror because you threw for less than 30% against a terrible defensive back squad. Right. That's that's the ironic thing, right, is that he says, I think you have to go and look at yourself. And then he's the one who is – calling out the fans after his performance. Now he yeah. did say I missed some throws. He did say we have to be better, but that is not what a quarterback, a leader should be saying after this, it should have been, first of all, he never should have said anything about the fans or the booing. And second of all, he should have come out and fallen completely on the sword and said, that was my fault. I missed these throws. My receivers were open. I let them down. I'm going to be better. I'm going to work at it. And this is on me and just fall on the sword and you move on. And even if you don't do that, even if you kind of hedge and you say, yeah, we've got to be better. Yeah. I miss some throws, but overall it's, and just sort of downplay his own mistakes. The one thing you never ever do as a pro athlete, especially a quarterback who has so much responsibility is blame the fans or go after the fans. As you said, it's a great way to become public enemy. Number one. And for a fan base that already didn't particularly like him after that performance, then they hear those comments in his press conference. Just a brutal look for Phil Dracovic. I have no idea why he said that. He was clearly frustrated all game long, but he has no one to be frustrated with except himself. Maybe a little bit the offensive line, but it is entirely on him. There were times when he looked frustrated. I don't know if he was frustrated at the receivers or what. But his ball, his throws weren't even in bounds. There is no one else for him to be mad at other than the guy in the mirror. And it's ridiculous to me if he was frustrated with his receivers because there were some shots on TV. I know you were at the game. I was watching on TV. There were some shots where he looked furious. And again, it wasn't exactly clear who that that was uh, directed to, but he looked furious after a couple incomplete passes. And the balls that he threw were out of bounds. They were not catchable by anyone. So I don't know who he's furious with. I don't know if it's the fans, if it's the receivers, but there's no one to be furious with except himself. If you're the quarterback, you take that responsibility no matter what, but especially when you are the one at fault. And he was, and yet he went after the fans. To me, that is disgraceful, honestly. Like that is the last thing a quarterback, a team captain should be doing. And he now, he doesn't have any 
sympathetic ears in the fan base at this point. And we can we can end this on this. Kenny, why a lot of teams didn't want to draft Kenny Pick in the first round was obviously the physical traits. Why he did go in the first round, he, he's got it mentally and he's got it in his heart. You know, running for those those fourth downs against Clemson. And this is also the same type of traits that got him starting year one for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and he's a captain in year two. He also never blamed the fans. He always takes responsibility for his actions and what happens on the field, good or bad. Phil did not do that. The leash with the fans, the next incompletion you throw, even if it's a 50 to nothing win against UNC, we're going to boo you. Yep. it's uh, He's dug himself a bit of a hole. And uh, just a- after the performance on the field and then the comments off the field, Phil Dracovic not in a good spot right now. And it is entirely self-inflicted. Uh, we'll move on. What we didn't see in that game was Christian Vayer, the the backup quarterback, transfer from Penn State. Going into the West Virginia game, Pat Narduzzi in his postgame press conference said he's not going to make a change. Now, if he were to make a change, he, he was not going to decide it right then. Even if he did, he wasn't going to say it right then. He's not necessarily going to say it in Monday. I'll ask you two questions. Number one, how crucial is it for, in your opinion, that they make a change on a scale from they absolutely need to do it or I'm going to lose my mind to uh, they can they can give Jerkovic a little bit of time. And then the second question is, how confident are you that Narduzzi will make the change to Vayer? Narduzzi has a history, as as a few reporters have pointed out wisely, that he's pulled quarterbacks before. He pulled Max Brown and Danucci that one year. It's not – he just got so comfortable with Kenny and – he he really stuck himself in the mud with Slovis. I don't know how you hope that he learned from last year's experience. Um, there, they brought him in because he's not a first-year guy. He's not a second-year guy. This is his third year in college. He played in the Big Ten. Yes, his only experience is playing against Rutgers, really. You think the answer is different when we hit October 1st? I imagine the leash is still... It might be short, but it's longer than we want it to be until end of UNC. And here's the one thing. Against better competition, Phil should have, on the whole, in these first two games, Phil should probably have two or three interceptions. What's he got? He's got one fumble. So he's not turning the ball over. He's just not moving it very well either. Right. And I think that is a reason why my confidence level in terms of Narduzzi making a change is low. Partially because he likes to stick with guys. Now, not always, as you said, he did switch off Max Brown and he switched off Ben DiNucci. But in general, we saw this last year, he likes to stick with guys. Yeah, Especially in, we saw last year and this year, I don't know if it's the case of stubbornness. He doesn't want to admit a defeat or a failure or that he was wrong. I'm not sure what it is. But or if it's just loyalty to a guy that he's called the starter, if if genuinely he believes that it makes sense to give them more time. I'm not sure, but he does. He doesn't switch quarterbacks lightly. And because he hasn't turned the ball over and because the offense did get somewhat close in this game because they scored 21 points, not that that's good enough, but because of all that. I think Narduzzi will justify in his mind 
the decision to stick with Jerkovic. He didn't turn the ball over. You know, he hasn't thrown interceptions. Pitt, you know, we scored 21 points. Yeah, he's there were some mistakes there, but it was a one-off. Let's stick with him. He he can get better. We don't want to do anything drastic. And let's roll with this. And I think he sticks with Dracovic against West Virginia. And if Dracovic has the similar performance against West Virginia, I think it would be a similar reaction from Narduzzi that he would talk himself into it. That he would convince himself, yeah, that there are some problems, but he's not throwing interceptions. And we at least it was close. And if one one or two things go another way, we win that game. And I'll stick with him versus North Carolina. So I'm actually kind of with you. I could see a scenario, easily see a scenario, where Djokovic doesn't play well against Penn State, doesn't play well against North Carolina, and only then does Narduzzi decide to make a change to Bayer. I'm not sure if it happens before that. If if I were, if you pinned me up against it right now, I would say late in the North Carolina game, if Pitt is losing by multiple touchdowns, then Narduzzi makes a change toward the end of the game and puts Veyer in. If you were to say when, if at any point this season, does Veyer, does he make the change? Does Veyer come in? I would say that. How do you rationalize saying, I'm going to play this guy against Drake May? Because the, the only way you're competing against Drake May, and especially if UNC has a defense, giving up that many points as they did to Appalachian State and almost getting upset in double OT, Maybe UNC doesn't have a defense, but there's no way this offense is scoring different tag with Drake May. It's just not happening. Right. I I think we have to Virginia Tech. That was Kenny. It wasn't his first start. I think Danucci had the first drive or two in 2017. And then Kenny played the rest of the game. Virginia Tech's still kind of rebuilding program. That's a good move. And then you have the bye week after that. So I think right now, if you are, you know, going to bed praying for a quarterback change. I think that two week uh, on the calendar is kind of what you're circling to be realistic. I think best case scenario would be win at West Virginia, but Dracovic is so bad that they make the change or maybe make the change mid game. So that by the time that the North Carolina game and the ACC conference play begins, that it's Vayer who's in there starting that Pitt can win a tight game with West Virginia. The defense steps up and, and that would be it, but we'll see. It's, it's early. We don't know what'll happen, but I think both of us are in agreement when Narduzzi says in this particular case, when he says that he's going to be starting Phil Dracovic against West Virginia, that he actually means it and that he will. Yeah. Both of us are frustrated by that, but we will not be surprised if, and when it happens, let's talk about more of the offense. The offensive line, because yes, Phil Dracovic, he's at the top of the blame chart, but the offensive line was bad. Jake Cradle is experienced. He's a senior. He's he's had time. And there were some plays where they'd snap the ball, and within a second, his defender would get right past him. It's almost like he wasn't even trying to block. I don't know what's happening with his offensive line. There, there has been some turnover, and there is some youth where they didn't expect it necessarily. But no one has looked good in particular, and there were some plays where Dracovic had absolutely no time to get rid of it. So if there is any glimmer of hope that Narduzzi is willing to make changes, he, he replaced a, a fifth-year guard who looked like a freshman against Wofford with an actual freshman who just made his first start against an all-American 
in Corleone, and I believe his his uh, running mate, one of his running mates on the Cincy D line, is also strongly uh, an NFL prospect. So it's not like we're facing Rhode Island or New Hampshire here, and you told a freshman to go in and, and prove something. No, he he got fuel of you know thrown into the fire, trial by fire. Um, so BJ Williams had some tough snaps tonight. They did that knowing he was going to. Um, switching the guards, Zubovic on the on the left side, interesting because. Your, your right side became totally inexperienced with Taylor having started, what, like half the year last year, um, it, more or less. And then you obviously have the freshman making his first start, his second collegiate game. And I so I played O-line all my years of, of organized ball, mostly at center. And I look at Cradle, obviously was never a natural center. He kind of had to move there for his own prospects and what was best for the team when guys kept getting injured a few years ago. I think it's not natural to him yet in the sense that he's snapping the ball, hoping just to make sure it's a good snap. And then he's getting blown up by an all American Mm -hmm. detail. He's not thinking in terms of like, you know, one, two immediate it's one, get the snap back two. Oh shit. Here's a, here's a fantastic tackle that's coming straight at me. So I don't know if it's, it's just not not like, the whole act of being a center, it's still it's still coming to him. And I don't know how well he's accepting it after a year and a half of being in this role. Um, maybe he's doing great, but obviously he's just getting blown up on some plays. And, you know, I believe in the post-game pressure, Gonzalez you know, took a, a ton of responsibility for how they're performing. I'm still not incredibly worried, but yes, they're out of the five sacks that happened tonight. I think, what was it, that first one where Jacobic scrambled out and then kind of just stopped and got nailed in the back. I'll take that on him. you got to throw that out. You might even be able to take another one that's on him, but it, it was rough. They really couldn't get the running game going in a reliable rate. Just like last year, this O-line that had a ton of promise and a ton of talent, it's still there. We're still early with them, but a lot of changes are unexpectedly being made. You need five guys who can be able to communicate with each other with just the most obscure one words pointing at linebackers, making sure on the same page for a deep playbook. It's going to take a while. And unfortunately, it's taking longer than I think a lot of fans realize it's going to take. West Virginia, I don't believe their D-line is. I believe it's still supposed to be one of their strengths, but luckily it's not going to be quite what it was last year. And it doesn't mean that gives them an excuse to not get better this week. But it sure is hell going to be a lot easier than it was tonight. It was rough. And for all the blame that goes under Dracovic, the offensive line was bad. And a lot of those sacks were mm-hmm. the fault of the offensive line. And some of the incompletions were the fault of the offensive line. Although I will say some of his better throws actually came when he was under pressure and, and some of the times that he did run with it. But for the most part, you don't want to put your quarterback in that position. And they did where he just had no time. So there was absolutely frustration there. But we'll see. As you said, Cincinnati, a really good team on that D-line. West Virginia, not as good. We'll see if maybe that gives them some more time to to gel together and to get better in terms of blocking. But uh, in the Cincinnati game, for sure, it, it just was not good enough. Now, if you look at the running game and the broader conversation about Frank Signetti, 
the running game wasn't that important to him. And it's kind of weird because in the past, it's almost been the other way around. The pit offensive coordinators have run the ball so much and they haven't passed. And in this case, they didn't run the ball too much. Sebo Flemister, six carries, 38 yards. He was great, but just not mm-hmm. many touches. Rodney Hammond, six carries, 21 yards. He was good. He was great last week. We know he's got a ton of talent, just not many touches. Daniel Carter, six carries, 25 yards. That's 4.2 yards a carry. He just didn't have the touches. I don't know why they didn't go to the running game, especially in the final, I believe that was the final offensive drive. After the defense intercepts it, Pitt has a chance to tie the game or take the lead. And they've got all the time in the world. So time is not a factor whatsoever. They're already in good position. They just need to get a touchdown. And they didn't run the ball. I have no idea why. They kept trying to throw the ball 15 yards down the field with a quarterback who clearly could not find anyone. I just have no idea when you've got that level of talent at the running back and you've got a history of succeeding in that game plan and you have all the time to use that they didn't run the ball more on that final offensive drive. I don't get it. Might lose some some listeners with this. I'll defend Signetti. I think the only thing wrong that he really did tonight was they came out, you know, trying to hit the deep ball immediately. And that's fine for your first scripted plays, your 10, 15 scripted plays. You know, you usually don't divert from those except on third downs. I think the issue is once you got off of those scripted plays from practice, there was no rhythm uh, that he tried to establish with Jerkovic. I, I was saying throughout the game for almost three quarters, why don't we just hit Rodney out in the flat or a wheel route again, like we did against WVU? Um, why don't we just try to get a couple crossing routes in the middle of the field? Just get your quarterback in a rhythm with some easy throws before you start going back to the deep shots. Um, I think that was my main only issue, because like we said earlier, there was at least one receiver open on a lot of these these pass plays that Jerk was just missing, whether it was on purpose or he didn't look that way. I'm surprised Narduzzi didn't say more about that in his post-game presser, because this man... I think he said they want to run for an average of 150 a week and they want to establish the run before anything else. And they just really got away from it. And I think we need to more question what's with the usage. There was rumors that Hammond got banged up in camp. And I I figured him getting fewer carries against Walford was like, well, yeah, Roddy Hammond's as reliable as a, as a truck that always moves forward. He never loses yards. Right. This man has never lost a yard in his career here. And, and so I figured, okay, save him for the Power 5 competition. And then he comes out, and he only has six more touches today. He's more banged up than they're letting, letting on, or, or they actually don't trust him as much. It would be very weird for being a going from a freshman who was the ninth-inning closer against Clemson two years ago, essentially, to absolutely, like, uh, we don't know about him. I don't think that's the case. And they, they clearly didn't think that was the case last year when he was healthy. Why are they still divvying up all these carries? Again, Daniel Carter is also a guy. He never loses yards. Sebo is a little different. He's more of a speed guy. Also, who's their best pass blocker? You know, watching the game from the stands, I didn't get the best feel of, like, you know, something when Whipple was calling the offense, they always had the running back who could block the best. 
against blitzes and D linemen. I, you know, was it Sebo? It didn't seem like it, but he was out on a ton of those drives. It, I think it's Daniel Carter, but they're also not willing to just kind of dump him off in the flat after a block. It, it's it's very kind of sure they shouldn't have ditched the run, and I know that's what's probably going to be the most sour in Narduzzi's uh, tonight. Like that's probably what he's losing the most sleep over. I think the more the question is why is Hammond or someone just not the guy to get 15 to 20 touches a game? Yeah, and I would even be fine divvying it up if they used them more often, but collectively, but they're still not doing that. And again, down the stretch, you said they open up, they have their plays. Okay, fine. And then it becomes clear that Jerkovic just didn't have it. How do you not make changes on the fly to realize that, okay, he cannot throw the ball deep and connect with his receivers. So let's add in some of those plays, either runs for one of those three guys or passes to the flat, or as you said, crossing route, just something or wheel routes, something to where you can just get Dracovic a little bit confident. You can move the ball a few yards at a time, something. It seemed like almost every drive, and I know it wasn't, but it seemed like almost every drive was just three deep passes and that's it. That they were throwing the ball 15 yards plus every single time and nothing else. And I just, you just think, why aren't they doing these smaller things in the past? It was again, almost the opposite. There was frustration that that's all that they did. And they didn't let a quarterback throw down the field. And in this case, when you have a quarterback who can't throw down the field, you're wondering why not just hand it off to one of your three reliable running backs. Why not just throw it for five yards where you actually might connect with your receiver and they're talented enough that then maybe they can get a few yards after the catch. I, I don't know what it was, but to me, it was a problem with Signetti, with Narduzzi, with everyone, that they didn't adjust to what Dracovic wasn't able to do when they have all this talent around the rest of the offense and focus on what they could do. So one thing, definitely a knock against coaching is if you love these three backs so much, why are we not running two back sets? And I'm not talking about a fullback having Daniel Carter in his hand in the dirt again like last year. Two guys, 20 personnel right next to Dracovic. So maybe he hands off to one of them, the other guy's a blocker, or play action to one, throw the other one out in the flat, something. And even since he didn't run a lot of it, but you could tell towards the end of the game, even they threw in some of that pistol look. Uh, so why are we not adjusting formations if you love your three backs so much? Yeah, it, it was frustrating. A lot of this game was frustrating, but they're just, as you said, there was not rhythm in the offense. Nothing that the offense did looked comfortable everything looked labored even when they had touchdown catches and, and touchdown plays Kanate Mumfield actually did have a good game but just everything looked labored every every time that they found the end zone or they had a big play it was oh my good I, I didn't know they knew how to do that <laughs> there was no rhythm to the offense there there was no not much cohesion in the offense and I think that's what's frustrating is that it didn't even seem like one bad game it just seems like this offense has not figured it out yet. And that's not even necessarily on Signetti because Jerkovic has been so bad and probably worse than they expected. But at a certain point, they're going to have to adjust. They didn't in this game before West Virginia. If they don't make a change of quarterback, they will have to adjust that offense. Absolutely. I think, and it goes to like, just a, a wider question of, you know, that's those Cincy DBs were not very good. 
they straight up were not good. Our guys were open. Outside of Gavin and, and Mumfield, what do you really take away from what happened tonight on the offense? Like, what positives? And, and I, because they didn't keep hammering both of those guys, it was, it's infuriating that they didn't put Gavin in the drive after he scored. That blew my it, mind that he wasn't even on the field. I, I have a feeling that's a, that's a Salem call. But it, you hammer these two guys now. Next week, have, force West Virginia to stop those two guys because then magically Bum Means is going to be open for one of those 11 targets. Right. Next week. It's just going to happen. It's infuriating because it's like, what do you really take out of this? The run game was not where they wanted to be. Phil decides that he's not going to actually hit anyone in stride. It's either going to be behind them. He's going to give them no chance. It's got to be incredibly frustrating if you're any of these receivers at all. The O-line, they still need to gel. I mean, you got a promising freshman. But, again, from an offensive standpoint, what do we come away saying? At least that thing happened. Not much. I mean, Gavin Barton, there's talent. I would say that. Yeah. There's talent in basically every position except quarterback. But since, again, in the Cincinnati game specifically, there's really not much. There's Bartholomew. There's yeah. Mumfield. That's about it. There were also the issue of, and we don't have to – talk about this much but the wasted timeouts in the second half from Pat Narduzzi and the problem with that because down the stretch Pitt could not stop the clock now it probably doesn't change the outcome Pitt's mm -hmm. defense had a chance where they could have gotten a stop and could have forced a punt and gotten the ball back and they just didn't do it so it probably doesn't but you would give them one more chance if you had those three timeouts you now give the defense one more chance after Cincinnati picks up the first down to where maybe they can stop them this time. They're forced to punt. And then you see if Jerkovic can throw up some sort of Hail Mary and it works. What made that so unexpected is his whole tenure. I think we, uh, especially those first, the first half of Narduzzi's tenure here, he got a lot of flack for how he handled time management. I, I remember those days. It was like, why are you not taking timeouts here? Why did you? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, when there's six minutes left, and I see him run up next to the ref, and I actually turn to my friend, like, he just started taking his timeouts. And he's like, no, he didn't. And I'm like, he's out <laughs> on the field putting together a huddle. He actually put his started using his timeouts at six minutes. That was a complete shift from what old Narduzzi used to do. So I don't know if that popped up in his head. He was like, I'm not waiting until there's two minutes left when I can do this now. And I totally get it. Like, the defense, they are playing their best ball around that time. But I just wasn't expecting it. That, that was a new dude for us. Right. And it, again, it's not the biggest thing. We're not going to harp on it. It probably wouldn't yeah. have changed it. But just another frustration that, that goes into this game. We're going to talk about the defense in just a second. First, we'll take a very quick break here from some sponsors. Be back right here on the Pit Talk Network. And we are back here on Football Unscripted on the Pit Talk Network. I'm Corey Cohen. I've got Ryan from those guys you know with me. Let's talk about the defense, because in the first half, it was pretty rough, especially the amount of yards they gave up rushing. This just did not look like the pit defense that we've come to know over these last few years. And then magically, somewhere in that second half, they really stepped up and they all of a sudden looked like the pit defense. Not that they were unstoppable, because on that final drive... They, they were not able to force a three and out. And Cincinnati did move the chains and they couldn't get the ball back to the pit offense, but they were still really good. What was it that you think changed from 
the first half or why they came out like that in the first half and then what changed later in the game? So coming in to to recording this, I, I was thinking, okay, if we're going to put the blame on this game, it's it's Dracovic. And then the second one is that defense just did not come ready to play. Straight up, they did not run out of that tunnel, the Thunderstruck, ready to play football. <laughs> Maybe they thought it was a 7 o'clock kick and not 6.30. Yeah. No, straight up. Um, I think they got probably chastised for it uh, real quick. Um, and a lot of it was, you know, in, in my uh, midweek thread I do of kind of just like previewing the game, I acknowledge that this game was going to be sloppy in terms of every year all around the country. We're going to see it tomorrow with the NFL. We saw it last week for week one in college football, and it's going to continue. Tackling is the most is the foundation of this game, and it just sucks for the first couple of weeks. It does. Um, so I knew that was still going to be an issue, but those safeties, you know, they got exposed. The, our run defense just got exposed, and I honestly think that it was. Narduzzi's and Bates, um, how they use their DBs coming out, I think that was the biggest flip from the first half and the second half. You could tell Satterfield uh, and calling that offense with Emory Jones, they knew through through all their motions and and their formations that not only were we doing the classic Narduzzi man-on-man with our corners, we were actually moving the corners all the way across the field with whoever receiver they were glued onto. So all of a sudden, if we had, you know, one short side of the field, Marquez would come across to the wide side of the field. You'd have, you know, Marquez and and MJ lined up right next to each other. And then back on the short side boundary, we would have our boundary safety all there alone playing corner with someone who got the second motion, got thrown in, whether it was a running back or a tight end or a third receiver who's playing corner. And we all saw the old, experiments of you know Pat Narduzzi DBs had to train at corner before they moved to safety and you just see these safeties getting exposed in this man-to-man system and in the second half they went back to if you're a corner on one side or a safety on one side you're sticking there we're going back to what we've been doing for seven years and, and we're in you know the safeties and the outside linebackers are going to stick I think that was the biggest adjustment, and you could tell since he got more vanilla with their offense because it was back to classic Narduzzi defense. I think that was the biggest change because what did since he scored in the second half? Just seven points. Yep, seven points in the third quarter, and not a single point in the fourth. It, what they did with the DBs, they definitely went to halftime simplifying things. That game plan was not good. It, it did not work, um, and I think we need to immediately move to that D line was not effective tonight. That the QBK, where they have one or two sacks, that's not up to par. And I don't think the Cincio line is that good. And we did not bully them like we normally do. Yeah, the defensive line did not look nearly as good, especially early on in the game, nope. uh, as they should and as we've led to believe. And again, even later in the game, that there were definitely some frustrations there. One more frustration, Ben Saul's who's been incredibly reliable and unlike the Jerkovic conversation, we should make it clear. We are by no means calling for a replacement at kicker. Ben Sauls is the man. He's been great, but he did miss a field goal in the first half that ended up coming back to bite Pitt because if he had made that field goal, then Pitt would have been down three when 
the pit defense intercepted it in the fourth quarter and the pit offense had the ball in right around in field goal range in the final minutes of the fourth quarter when they ended up turning it over on downs, but they got the ball at the Cincinnati 43. They moved it all the way to the Cincinnati 28. If Saul's hit the first field goal, then on fourth down, they could have gone for a field goal to tie the game. And now we're talking about a completely different ball game again, not to of all the things Ben Saul's is not, we're not going to harp on this, but it's brutal that one of the very few times that he misses a field goal, it actually came back to bite them because later in the fourth quarter, when Dracovic didn't have it, they could have just needed a field goal, but instead they needed a touchdown. And of course, Dracovic could not deliver. Yeah, no, I, I'm going to echo what you said. I'm not worried about Ben Sauls at all. Um, I think the pro Ben Sauls podcast. Absolutely. Um, I, I'm not worried about him all. I think he has some of the most swagger of any kicker in the country. The confidence he carries around, it's its really funny to watch during the timeouts. Um, that being said, being there in the environment, I think there are so many other things that dug them six feet into the ground that Ben Saul's making that field goal at the end of the night. No one talks about it on the way out of the stadium. It, it's kind of just throwing that one handful of dirt on that grave. It didn't really make much of a difference at the end of the night. So I'm not worried about it. He missed it. Sure, it's done. Dracovic should have hit about six different receivers and stride down the field that should have been touchdowns. Absolutely. Again, if we are ranking who's most to blame, uh, it's way at the bottom. It's just one of those right. Yeah. It's just one of those things that on that final drive, and even that, it's because the ineptitude of the offense led by Dracovic that I even remembered the Ben Sauls miss field Mm -hmm. goal. It was only because in that final offensive drive, I thought wow, I wish they could just kick a field goal here because they're actually in range. And Dracovic, there was no faith that he could get that ball into the end zone and find a touchdown. And then I realized, oh, yeah, Saul's missed the one earlier. And if yeah. if he hit that, then it'd be a three-point game. They just kicked the field goal. That's the only reason. If any of us had any confidence whatsoever on that final drive that Dracovic could lead a game-winning touchdown, no one would have even thought about the Ben Solzman's field goal earlier. It was just because not a single person thought, oh, Pitt is down six. They've got the ball in Cincinnati territory. Now Dracovic can lead the team down the field. No one thought that could happen. It didn't happen. And that's why the field goal came back to, nope. to bite Pitt. No, he wasn't leading anything downfield. I don't want to be all negative. Let's talk about some bright spots. Where What were the bright spots of this game? You mentioned Gavin Bartholomew. You mentioned Kanate Mumfield. The defense in the second half, they did turn it around. They, they did look for a while yeah. there. They looked really good. Yeah, I, I even tweeted out at halftime, like, Narduzzi's going to have to pull some wizardry out of his butt for that one, and they did. And it's not the first time we've seen him do it. And him and Bates, when they make adjustments, it used to be a running joke. They never made adjustments at halftime. Whatever happened a few years ago, they started doing it, and they did it tonight. Um, again, I, I know – and I'm sure I tried to watch the alignment as much as possible when you're when you're watching the live game with very few repl- too many replays, to be honest. But not having that broadcast feed, you don't see all five linemen. I think BJ Williams getting a start is help. Let's do it. Um, it just sucks that you went up against who you went with. Finding your two most reliable receivers, you know, that's a positive. Let's see. Caleb Junko averaged 48 yards a punt. Yeah, he was I forgot <laughs> about it. Yeah, he's been doing well. Yep, and outside of that, I mean, Satterfield decided his offense is going to be, we'll try to find some runs, 
And, you know, they hit that one three-yard out route about 10 times in the game, and I'm pretty sure that's 90% of Emory Jones's completions, was that one three, four-yard out route because the, the linebackers were never able to get there until they had to tackle. They could never be in a position for a PBU. Which, by the way, not to be that guy and bring it back to this, but the pit offense could have used plays like that. They could have used some oh, of those plays. They ran it once. Gavin, and it was short of the first down. They ran it once. That was their one rhythm pass, and they never went back to it. It's that one out route. So frustrating. That's exactly yeah. the kind of play that we were talking about earlier. That, yeah, that builds some confidence in, in Jerkovic, and that's something that he can accomplish even when his arm was apparently about to fall off. Plays like that that worked for Cincinnati that Pitt didn't run with. That That's the frustration. Something I've, I've noticed um, when it comes to, and this this carries over, Matt Canada does it with the Steelers. And what Signetti also does is you see the best offensive minds in the game and they scheme guys open. Signetti and Canada, uh, the city of Pittsburgh, we don't scheme guys open. We just hope we out-athlete the DBs. Why are we not running a wheel route that we've been setting up because we've been hitting deep shots or we've been focused on one side of the field or setting up the play action. You know, guys aren't being manufactured open. Taekwon Underwood has to get his guys to learn how to get themselves open. So let's talk about next week. It's the backyard brawl. It's in Morgantown. It's under the lights. It's at night. West Virginia didn't look particularly special against Penn State. They didn't keep that game very close. They dominated Duquesne. No surprise there. So they go into week three, also one and one. Not much confidence in them but also not much confidence in Pitt. What's your read on next week? What's your confidence level going into the brawl that means so much to both teams? Like I said earlier, unfortunately, it's just win. I don't think their offense is very good in West Virginia. I think Garrett Green, look, they were tied with Duquesne at 1.7-7. And obviously, I didn't watch that game. I don't know how the rest of it played out. I think they won by a lot, which, you know, if you didn't, then Morgantown would have been ready to burn down. <laughs> it's they're ready to burn down anyway Let, let's be honest they'll yeah. burn they don't need a reason absolutely and Penn State was a, a vastly superior opponent but Garrett Green looks lost you keep keep the pressure on him unfortunately WVU's O-line is arguably one of the better ones in the country but they, they were voted the only team in the Big 12 preseason polls voted behind Cincy was WVU the issue with that is that this is a rivalry game, so they're going to play harder than Cincy at home. Yeah, I don't think it's a very skilled team. I'm not scared of Garrett Green. It's the environment that's going to get to our guys. It's DJ Donaldson. The tackling, tackling needs to – the first two weeks you can get away with some bad tackling, sure, except for when you're losing like this. Next week you cannot get away with arm tackles against DJ Donaldson. He killed us last year out of nowhere. He's not a surprise this year. He's still surprising the rest of the country. He shouldn't surprise us. And on their defensive side, there really isn't much that scares me except for how we play on offense. Yeah, to me, I, I'm in agreement. It's the environment. When you look at – and preseason polls are not worth the paper they're printed on. But when you said West Virginia, the only team picked below Cincinnati, but then you factor in – it's going to be a road game, unlike Pitt hosting Cincinnati, and it's going to be a rivalry game, a real rivalry, not the River City rivalry. And West Virginia, this is their season, especially almost even more so for West Virginia than Pitt, because although 
this game against Cincinnati might have changed some things. Pitt has some pretty high aspirations for this season in terms of what they can do in the A-10. West Virginia does not. They don't think, their own players don't think they can really compete in the yeah. Big 12. They just want to beat Pitt. And that atmosphere, that level of passion, it's scary. I think Pitt wins. Now, again, last week I was on this podcast. I said I think Pitt beats Cincinnati by three or four. I think Pitt beats West Virginia by three or four. We'll see what that means. Maybe Pitt loses by six. Like they, uh, maybe the history repeats itself with my prediction. That's what I'm thinking. What What would your early prediction be? It'll be interesting what the line is on this game. Um, I think Monday. I'll answer this. I'll I'll try to give my level-headed Monday answer after still having not showered off <laughs> terrible experience tonight. They still fought back really hard. And so maybe it's close at halftime and they can pull it out. You know, we saw our guys still fight as uninspired as certain players still were at the end. So, yeah, one score win. I think that's what we'll go with right now. It's going to be a terrible week on social media. We're going to go with a one score win for now. Hopefully that's my Monday level head answer. And unfortunately, one score win is my level head answer for now. For me, I'm honestly, I'm in a rivalry game. I don't even care. Just win. If you get the win, I don't care if it's pretty. I don't care if it's by a single point. I don't care. And even as bad as we think West Virginia is, just win the game. You need to win this game. And so for me, do whatever you got to do. Move to Veyer. Stick with Dracovic and change the offensive game plan. Whatever it takes, have the team show up. Have a game plan designed to suit their talents and beat West Virginia. That's it. I think all week Narduzzi needs to hammer how how violent that environment's going to be. Yeah. Not in a nice way. We're not talking like Michigan Big House or or Ohio State. And the whole, like this is violent in a very offensive way. And, and use that and say, hey, you know, tonight you came out and you did not you were not nearly ready to play in your own home turf against an inferior opponent. You need to be the team that smacks them in the mouth first. If if Roddy Hammond needs to take the first snap, sure. Let's let's start in Wildcat if we have to. I don't care. Just win on offense and make sure that you are the more physical and motivated team coming out of that top. Absolutely, 100%. Uh, so that will do it for us on this episode of Football Unscripted here on the Pit Talk Network. Uh, Ryan, from those guys, you know, thank you so much for joining me. Please plug uh, whatever, wherever people can find you. Yeah, just that underscore TGYK on uh, X. Still slipping that through. Yeah, I still um, say Twitter. That, thank you for having me on. Uh, unfortunate circumstances, but there is still 10 games left, and they went on a four-game win streak to win and last year, so... Hope's not depleted. It, it just was a kick in the nuts tonight. Yeah, if uh, if there is some hope to be had, a couple years ago, Pitt lost to Western Michigan. They looked bad. We all thought the season was going down the toilet. They went on a run. They lost one more game that season. They went on to win the ACC championship game. So if there is some hope to be had, we've seen it before where Pitt loses a non-conference game in September to a team that they should beat, and then they go on a run and they have a great season. Phil Djokovic isn't exactly Kenny Pickett, but 
we'll uh, we'll keep the optimism alive. We will keep the hope alive. For anyone who who enjoys this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, the, that is Pit Talk Network. Whenever new episodes come out, the downloads will come right to you. We've got football on scripted. We've got Olympic Gold and Blue. We've got Panthers Pathway. We've got multiple shows coming out. Uh, please subscribe to that. And uh, tell your friends, tell your pit-loving friends about our brand-new Fledgling Network. You can also find me on social media at Corey E. Cohen. And until next time, we'll be back uh, later this week with Olympic Gold and Blue with Panthers Pathway. Back here on Football Unscripted on Monday talking about the Backyard Brawl. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'm Corey Cohen signing off from Football Unscripted on the Pit Talk Network.